This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. The scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Aloha. <laughs> it's good to be back. Um, we have a tonight at, at uh, after our third service at five o'clock, we have a, a, a pre- preparation for Lent deal. And just, you know, we're a little out of whack here because uh, actually Lent started when? Well, yeah, it was Wednesday. Some of you know that. Yeah. And Lent may not be part of your vocabulary. We recognize that. But I got a letter, and I'm not going to share who it's from. I don't have permission to do that. But she was, uh, it was a woman in our congregation. I just opened it this morning. I didn't have a chance to read the whole thing. But she said that last year Lent was so uh, significant for her. And she's looking for, she was looking forward to Lent this year like she was looking forward to a vacation. Now, having just gone to Hawaii, <laughs> you know, it just caught me. You know, I, man, we were looking forward to that. And it, wasn't that a cool thing, though? And... Uh, well, tonight at 6.30, and we're going to take, I think it's about 45 minutes, we're going to try to just give you some um, food for thought. How's that? That will uh, maybe, you, you might be able to see how Lent can be that grace-filled, grace-filled uh, time where you can get traction for uh, some change, needed change in your life. And that's part of this series that we're going to be getting into today. Uh, it's about change. So I just encourage you, it's not, it won't be long. And uh, I want you to think about that word change and how much uh, our world is committed to changing something. And my guess is that whatever work you do is about changing, probably changing people in some way. So if you're an educator, what are you trying to do? You're trying to change people. If you're a uh, if you're in healthcare. You're not just trying to heal people. You're trying to get people's behavior changed, modified in some way. If you're in business and you're advertising, you're trying to attract, to change people's patterns so that they shop where, where you. And if you're in religion, <laughs> you know, and politics. So the military, I mean, ultimately, you're, you're trying to change something. There's a mission there that involves changing people. Amazing how many resources go to change. A lot of it is behavior modification stuff that isn't 
the kind of change that we're looking at, there's always a carrot and a stick, or usually there's a carrot and stick involved. But uh, change is a huge word. Now, think about more personally someone in your life who you would like to change. <laughs> That's, and you're probably on somebody else's list, so let's make it fair. And uh, now, but now think more deeply, of the per- getting more personal. What is one thing you know that you need to change in your life? And don't we all have something? And isn't there a risk of saying, I don't have anything? Then we're, we're boy, we really need to change if that's our attitude. So uh, we're going we're gonna to be focusing in on that, that word change. And what we're going to see is uh, ultimately God, he is so into change. And he, in other words, the world, as uh, it's put in the Bible, it, it fell apart, or it had, a, it had a very catastrophic event back there in Genesis chapter 3. And God is into changing, to transforming, to making things right. He's not satisfied with the way things are. And if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about change in a particular direction, because you can change in, different, in two different ways, right? You can get worse, unfortunately. But God, there's, there's a, there is a progressive transformation of people and of the whole cosmos. So when we come to the book of Ephesians, where we are today, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, we're going to see how, well, we aren't going to see everything. We're going to take one little uh, snippet here today. But if you look at that whole letter, you'll see the first three chapters have to do with cosmic change and how God in Christ has affected change. He wants to change the world and everything in it, creation remade in Christ. And then he gets to chapter 4, and he talks about what a changed community looks like and how the church is to function, a local body of people like us and how we are to function together. And it's going to require a, a new way, a changed way of looking at things. And then he gets to this little part here, uh, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And, and, and in the whole letter, this is, the, this is really the part about personal transformation and that everything that comes after this flows out of it. He talks about relationships and how that, how that affects relationships in your life. And we've been in, where have we been? Chapter 5, right? How marriage works. So um, this is what I want to do. I want to show you. Um, this is in the worship guide, if I can get that up there. Is my clicker not working? Something's not going on here. Okay, I need some help. There we go. Uh, memory verses to consider. These are, these are there. You don't have to write them down. They're in your worship guide. But um, these are all verses that I want you to know this because, and, and, boy, tell you what, I, I struggle with the rest when it comes to memorizing Scripture. I just believe it's so important. Uh, I would never do it if I didn't believe it was so important because it's, it's work. But the benefits, okay, Galatians 5, 22 to 26. Here's our passage, Ephesians, the second one, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, Philippians 1, 6 and 2, 12, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And these, these uh, three, four letters that Paul wrote are all in that order in the scriptures. We're going to be getting into these passages in particular. You may want to choose one of, or more of these and memorize them. I, I, by the end of this series, I will have, I'm committed. This is part of my Lent deal. I'm taking them all in. Just don't test me on it, all right? But, but that's, um, I've already, last year I memorized Colossians 3, 1 through 17. These, are trans, these, these verses are amongst the top 10, at least, in the New Testament that have to do with transformation at the personal level. There they are. Test God and see if he doesn't do some stuff in your life. 
as but we're in that, that second passage today. And uh, let me get that. Oh, whatever. Okay. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Um, we're going to read this, and uh, I'm going to go kind of verse by verse here today, so I better get my glasses out make sure I get it right. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Now, you know, there's some, some language there that parents are familiar with. I tell you this, I insist on it. So amping it up. And then he goes even further, in the Lord. So, you know, you got three levels of, you know, yeah, it's getting, he's, Paul is getting very intense here. He's, whatever he's going to say next is going to be very important for us to hear. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, translating that into our, our world. You must no longer live as most Americans do. That you've been called out of into a different way of life. Okay? I insist on that. In the futility of their thinking. Can I get the next uh, slide up there? Why the futility? Why no real change in life? Think about this for yourselves. These are, this is from verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God. They are ignorant. Their ignorance that is in them, there's an ignorance there, that is due to the hardening of their hearts. Okay, so... The heart is at the center of all this, but you can see how what, what the causes are. Darken and understand. And in this passage, and it, oh, I should go down to verse 19. All of this leads to an indulgence in impurity and a continual lust for more. Uh, we we used this passage when we were talking about idolatry in October last, I think, or September last year. One of the emphases Paul has is on thinking. It's amazing in this passage how much he'll mention the mind. And how important the mind is to your spiritual growth. When we were in Hawaii, we, saw, we drove past a sign every time we went into Kona, and it said, don't think, pray. And I thought, that's a stupid sign. I, didn't want, I, I wanted to tell somebody, that is a stupid sign. Don't think, pray. You are to think and pray. Your mind is to be actively in line with God's mind, the mind of Christ, the, to, to say don't think, pray makes no sense to me. I know there's a good heart there somewhere that says, you know, that, that, that's trying to get something across to everybody who goes by on that road. But I felt like putting up another sign that said that last sign was really stupid. <laughs> don't think, pray. Well, the mind is absolutely critical. We're going to get back to this as we get into how transformation works. But... Uh, it's, it is very important. Now, the, the, the idolatry that is going on here is whenever, remember, idolatry is whenever you put something in the center that only God, where only God belongs. Something that um, influences you, that captivates you, that grabs you, that promises you life, and you know, deep down, you know that it doesn't bring life, but you keep going there. That is an idol, and it's that thing to which you say, if I don't have it, I'm going to die. And it can be anything. Anything at all, any good thing or any bad thing. But it is something that promises life, but in the end, it doesn't deliver. It can't deliver on it. Only God can do that. It's not life-giving. It looks life-giving, but it's not. Idols always deceive. And that word deception is in our text. So um, where, where Paul... Let me, let me try to illustrate this. 
a few years ago, I, I was trying to help a woman who was in distress in a ditch, and she had gotten her car in there. It was, it was around breakup, and you know how things are. And so it was a combination of ice and mud and all the rest, and, 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 I, and, I, and I didn't do the thing I was supposed to do, which is to say, now just press gently, gently down on the accelerator, and I was in back, and I got a little dirty and a little muddy. And, and so, um, but what happened, and, and, and she, you know, just gunned it. And you know what happens, right? You think that somehow it's going to help you to push down further on that pedal, but what are you really doing? You're, you're digging a deeper rut, right? And how many things, that, that, that's idolatry. And it is dirty. In the end, it, 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 doesn't, it isn't good for you. It leads to, to death. But Paul, uh, in this passage, he says in verse 19, let's go to verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, there's a play here in the English that it, it sounds kind of cool in the English. Uh, but it, Anyway, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. So sensitivity, sensuality, you don't quite have that same uh, play in the, in the Greek. But it's, um, it, it's close, yeah. Having given themselves over. And it sounds horrible. And if you go to Romans 1, which is, uh, I think it's 18 to 25, there's a uh, parallel, something that Paul wrote that's very simple, similar to this. And there he says, God gave them over. God gave them over to their lusts. God gave them over. Here it says they gave themselves over. It's, it's both, really. But why, why is there any hope in that? Is there any hope for a changed life? And the answer is what? Oh, yes, you should say. Come on. Yes. When you, when you get, why is that? Oh, does AA have some things to say at this point? Do you know what, what is it about hitting bottom? I mean, you'll never change until you hit bottom. God gave them over. They gave themselves over. They're in this rut. You're going to realize that hitting the, someday, hopefully, you'll wake up and see that hitting the gas pedal harder doesn't make life better. In fact, it makes it worse. The rest are just getting deeper. And when you, you don't realize that until you hit bottom and they talk about pseudo-bottoms or pseudo... I shouldn't say it that way. Pseudo-hitting bottoms in AA. That there's lots of times where you think it's about, no, you've got to experience more pain before you're going to realize that you're going to stay... When, when staying... The pain of uh, staying the same exceeds the pain of changing. And you realize that. But this is causing so much pain. And yeah, I hate change. I don't want to change. There's so much effort involved. There's so much repentance involved. There's so much emptying of myself involved. There's so much fear and pride involved. I don't want to go there. But you realize that staying the same has a greater cost in your life than changing. And you have hit bottom. That's how, that's what I've learned from AA, folks. It's, it's, so there is tremendous hope in giving yourself, well, don't do it, but you see what I'm saying? There's other ways. But you shouldn't give up on someone who has gotten into that rut. Remember the person who wrote this once murdered Christians. Well, I mean, who wouldn't have given up on him? Who wouldn't have given up on me at certain times in my life? So, you know, you have to hit bottom. I hit bottom. I hit bottom. There's great hope in this passage. There's grace that is oozing out of it. The idol at that point becomes unmasked. You can see it for what it is. You can see, I mean, alcoholics, you, you can see, you, you look at that bottle differently. 
It has a different connotation. You see it as a slave, something like a slave master that demands sacrifice from you that will lead you to the path of death, not life. And it's a change that happens in you that you get from hitting, hitting bottom. Okay. So there, there's a little uh, ironic hope, a little, little wisp of hope in that passage. And uh, maybe some of you were there, but, but there's more in the passage that we can go to. You, however, Paul says in verse 20, you did not learn Christ in that way. You did not learn Christ. You did not come to know Christ. Uh, it's very personal here. The, the language is um, you did not come to know Christ. You did not learn Christ. So um, we're gonna, well, let's just go to the next verse. And I think it will become more clear. In verse 21, surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Whenever you see the word Jesus, you should think Jesus the man, not Jesus Christ, the exalted Christ. You were talking, in other words, we're talking about Jesus that walked upon the earth. They're one and the same, but Paul is focusing here on the historic person of Jesus Christ. And I just want to get this little thing in here because it's, it, this is really the key to the whole, the whole thing is to seeing how it's all dependent on Jesus. And only Christianity, if you look at the history of religions and compare religions one to another, there is something very, very, very unique about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to try to explain it really quickly to you. If you took away, the, if you took away Moses, the historical Moses, and there was some other way. He, Moses is the delivery system for the law, particularly the Ten Commandments. He is the one, who, the messenger who brings that to the people of Israel at Sinai. But if you took away Moses, God could have used anyone. And... He's, there's still a Judea, uh, there's still a religion called Judaism that's there today. If you, if you look at the religion of Islam, Muhammad is the delivery system for the Koran and then the, the five pillars of Islam that God could have used anyone to get that point across. If you take Muhammad out, it's, it, that, that still could have, you know. How about Buddhism? There's the eightfold path of Buddhism. Buddha was the delivery system for that. When you come to Christianity, if you take Jesus out, there is nothing left. You've got to get that clear. That's the only religion. You take Jesus out of this, what we call Christianity, which is really a focus on the person of Jesus Christ, there is nothing left, and we are all fools for being here on a Sunday because there's much better things to do, right? Well, come on, be honest. So, yeah, I mean, he is, he, it's very unique. You take Jesus' life and you take out his miracles, his death and resurrection, there, it, it just sucks everything. He's, he, or he's everything, and we see him on every page of the Bible. So, with that point made, Paul says the truth in Jesus he is the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't show us the way that he does, but much more than that, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So let's look at how change happens. And I want to get to uh, the next, if I can get to the uh, next slide. Next one. There you go. One after that. Right there. Okay, this is our outline here for uh, how, how Paul sees the change process. Okay. Um, let's, I guess, read those, but the, there, there you have it. And I've got them in a different order, which I will explain to you here in a minute. So first of all, you were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then I'm going to skip over to verse 24, to put on the new life or the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So um, putting off and putting on. Uh, what does that mean, the, the old self? The old self, and there, I, there's many ways I could say it, but the old self is characterized by a self-absorption that usually is wrapped around two words. One is fear and the other is pride. And they're both very self-centered words. And then there's a, there, I'm going to go a little further here. There's a gap in each of our lives between where we really are and where we feel we should be. And something inside of us says, not all is well. Am I alone on that one? That I, I just know that I'm not there yet kind of a thing? I mean, that's just positive. I just, or I'm really messed up. I mean, there's a gap between where I am and where I know I should be. And so we try to manage that gap in the old self, not by closing the gap, but by making it look better on the outside to others. Because we have fearful and proud. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. I, I think that describes the old self pretty well. Now, putting on the new self is about allowing others into, not everybody, all, at least not all, but allowing others into, allowing Christ into first, but allowing other people into that gap in your life. Oh, you ought to, can I hear that? Oh, come on, come on. Yeah, there's a release, there's, there should be a, a release of, oh man, and that sounds really, first, very scary, and then, oh, wow, what a way, what a way to live. If I didn't have to worry, I can get rid of my fear and my pride. I can let Christ shape me. I can be a different person. I can live a different way. I'm a new person! Well, that's my best shot at this. Now, I've got some uh, garments here because, not in this passage, but in another passage, Paul talks about uh, clothing ourselves with Christ. Okay, so... This is to illustrate. By the way, has anybody noticed over here? That's coming. And I have, yes, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to illustrate here. This is, this, is, uh, an, this is the old self, is what this is. And I bought this in um, 1973, I think, before I went to Europe to find myself, okay? This is my pre-Christian existence right here. It stinks. <laughs> but for the sake of you all, yeah. It, well, you know, it doesn't fit. That's because my biceps have grown. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I did things. This is really true. I did things in this jacket that were very um, hurtful to myself, um, that separated me from God and separated me from other people. And I have memories of that. So when I put this on, I, you know, I mean, I know, I, I guess I feel kind of cool and young and like the Marlboro Man in a way, because I, <laughs> I did smoke back then. But I didn't inhale. Never mind. Uh, anyway, this thing, it's dirty and it does kind of stink. So if I take it off, if I take it off uh, and I don't put something new on, this is something I, I got for before Christmas. My, my wife said red looked good on me, so I trusted her. I don't want your opinion. But um, <laughs> if, I, if I just take this off and don't put something else on, uh, I'm exposed. There's a void 
to be filled. And in, in spiritual places, when you take something off and not put something on, it's called legalism. And it's not life-giving. It means you, you don't do this. And you don't do that. Because God doesn't like that. And that's as far as it goes. I mean, how, how death-giving is that? If that's all there is. To only take something off is, is not going to do it. So um, Jesus talked about when a demon is cast out of you, if you don't fill that void with something positive, things will get much worse because seven demons will come back into you. You got it? I mean, this is, there's, there's a void waiting to be filled. A, a thief who stops stealing is just in between jobs. <laughs> he's going to steal again if he's still a thief. His identity is still a thief, right? Summer in Alaska is not defined by lack of snow. That's called April around here. Do you want, do you want more April? I mean, don't, you, you want the, the full effect. We used to have a little farm, and if you were to pull the weeds out or, or do something over here, and if you didn't plant something in its place, oh, man, if you, anybody knows anything about farming, you've got you to use that land or it will use you or abuse you. So it's, it's that principle of, of being uh, filled. Now, now if I, let's go the other way. What if I only, uh, let's see, I'll do this. What if I only put on or try to put on without taking off? Well, okay, this is a mess here, but for the sake of you folks, I'll do it. And what do you get? You get a hypocrite who's got all kinds of stuff hidden. (laughs) Never mind. You get the point. You got all kinds of stuff hidden. I'm going to hide this. I haven't taken it off, but it's there. And you're just managing that gap, trying to look better, assuming I look good red, but trying to look better. So it's about taking off the old and putting on the new. Uh, this, is, this is important stuff. Now, the, the third thing that Paul says, though, is be made new in the spirit of your mind. Actually, he says in, this, in the NIV, it says attitude of your mind. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. Notice the change in tense. The first two are, who's doing it? Who's putting off the old and putting on the new? I, I am. I did it, didn't I? Come on. I am. These are commandments. These are imperatives. They are, do this. And do that. Uh, it doesn't say God will take off the old and God will put on the new. This is going to be one of our points that we're going to keep coming back to in this series. It, it's under a theological uh, word called synergism, meaning that I have to go in. I'm, I'm in step with the Spirit. I am participating with the Spirit. I am working out my salvation with the Spirit. I am an active, I am not a passive part of this. This is absolutely critical to the spiritual life. We're going to hear this again and again. To growing, if you want to change, you're going to have to get this. You may not like it, but notice it doesn't say God is going to zap you and you're going to put off your old self. God is going to zap you, you're going to put on your new self. It doesn't work that way. You've got to... And, and what, is that, what are the words that go with that kind of work? It means yielding to God, uh, repenting, uh, 
Uh, spiritual energy is involved. It means uh, uh, surrendering. It, it's that kind of stuff we're talking about. There's no room for boasting in it at all. But we have to be willing participants in what God wants to do in our lives. So uh, now when you get to the third part, though, be made new. That is passive in, in, in some ways. Be made new. Something's going to happen to you. Somebody's going to have to make you new. And so here's how we could, we could tie all this together, is as you take off your old and as you put on your new, be made new in the spirit of your mind. Okay? We get back to the mind. The, the importance of our minds is, is coming back here in Paul's, uh, in Paul's uh, change theology, his transformational theology. And... This is a daily process. Uh, There is a a one-time entry point that we call salvation, where God does everything. But as we enter in, this is a, you know, conversion is an ongoing process, being made to look, what does it say in verse 24? Created to be more or to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That is a process. If you haven't noticed it, you haven't looked around or at yourself. It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen completely in this lifetime. The change process is, is beyond this life. So uh, this is where we are. Now, I wanna, I've got to do something. This is, my, uh, we're getting in, in, this is getting close to the end here, but I, I haven't, this is the first service, right? You see there's three bags there? Actually, there's more than that. I don't know what that's about. But I'm going to try this. And you know what this is, right? Those of you who are sitting close should know, and you know that in a few minutes you will be smelling something, right? Let's see if this works. And I'm supposed to hit one one zero and start. How do you? How do you? What do you push then? Start. Okay, there you go. So in 110 seconds. I hope that's not minutes because we'll be having the fire department here. But in 110 seconds, um, we'll be ready to go on that. So here's what I want to here's what I want to say. In the being made new in the spirit of your mind has to do. Uh, Timothy Keller has this insight that I'm, I'm borrowing it, but I just it just resonates so deeply with me. It has to do with your imagination. It has to do with that which captivates your imagination. And what captivates your imagination will captivate your mind. Be made new in the spirit of your mind. So I need, that, uh, I need the last uh, slide up there. There we go. This was from a series that we did last uh, October, uh, September. And I called it the pre-addiction cycle because it leads to an addiction cycle. But you'll see back in where we were earlier um, the, some of the things that we were talking about. But what I want to get at here is that the inputs into our imagination from either God or our sinful nature, the world and the devil, that, that, um, that which we are to be different from, I hear a little noise over here, uh, is, is absolutely critical. That you get, to, you get to choose, you get to use your will, that part of you which God has given you, which hopefully is still functioning, because when we don't have that functioning, things get really tough. But there is some part that you know in your true self, when you get down to the bottom, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you know you need to change, 
And the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of change. And you know that. Well, it's at that point you, you, you can allow God to shape your imagination. When he shapes your imagination, then he can, you can shape your mind. And it's just an amazing thing. Okay, let's see what happens here. Oh, man. It's not pretty. What happened? Did I do something wrong? I must have done something wrong. It said 110 seconds. You know, one thing that a pastor is always looking for is interaction. And we just happen to have a bunch of experts. And, and Mary here. Well, what did you do? Okay, okay, make sure that thing doesn't burn. That's my... I was following instructions by somebody who told... Okay, well, we'll see. Um, the, what we're going to talk, what we're going to look at here in just a minute is, and I, I really need this popcorn to do this because this is not just regular popcorn. I had somebody go out and purchase this. This is popcorn with extra butter and extra salt. Some of you are starting to. <laughs> so, oh, I hear. Yeah, that's the magic sound, isn't it? You know you've done something right when you hear those little pop, pop, pop things going on. So some of you, I'm just going to go right into it because I don't want to get too delayed here. But some of you, um, as you smell this, and you're going to smell here in just a minute, your imaginations are going to go in different directions based on who you are. I'm not a big popcorn fan, so I'll just throw that out there. But my wife, she loves it. Um, but this is extra butter. Did I, did I mention that? Extra butter, extra salt. This is beyond movie theater. And, uh, you know, tonight's the Academy Awards. So you may picture yourself uh, in... Oh, I'm, I'm smelling it now. That's the next... You think we're there yet? Okay. Mary, could you... Could, uh, Vanna, would you... Uh, <laughs> yeah, would you open that up and let that... And if you would, just walk down the aisle like... Let, let, others, let others smell it. Yeah, wafting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, the first service gets all the good stuff. Now, now some of you are, are you're, you're tasting that, and you're thinking, man, this is really good. But, and, and I say, and it, some of you, because of whatever in your life, life experiences or whatever, you're not seeing yourself watching a movie and taking all that in and enjoying it. You're literally, you're, and I know people, I know some of you, you're seeing yourself, if I eat that, I'm going to fall over and have a heart attack. Honestly, that's it. That's the image that comes to your mind. Or, I mean, I could have used a steak. I, I thought about, or a, but, you know, that would be hard to do in here. But... Or, or, or whatever, cheesecake, or whatever. You, you see what I'm saying here? You, some of you are enticed. Look what the, I'm trying to point out the power of the imagination. Do you know that, I'll just say something, I hope it's not taken wrong, but the most powerful sexual organ that we have is our, our minds, right? So you, if that helps you to figure out what I'm trying to say, that. But it's, our imaginations are so powerful. 
And it can shape you towards something or away from something, depending on how your imagination is being shaped. Now, here's, here's where I want to go with this. It, it, Paul says to think about the truth in Jesus, to think about the truth, the truth in Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the truth. So think about Jesus and allow your until until your imagination is changed. And when your imagination is changed, your mind is changed. And when you smell the popcorn, I'm just going to use I'm not trying to berate popcorn. But when you smell the popcorn, you see something that's different than the way you used to see. That's what we're talking about. The power of the imagination, the spirit of your mind in the spirit of your mind. Be made new. So here's, the Bible is absolutely chock full of images. I mean, they're everywhere. And these are images that God wants to fill our imagination with. So we, some of these we love. The, the image of being carried on eagle's wings. Oh, you know, here we are in Eagle River. We can imagine that. The image of having every tear wiped away by Jesus in the end. I mean, isn't that powerful? Don't those grab you? Don't they provoke something in you? They, they, something, you can almost taste it. And then the, we're going to come here. This is, this is the meal, not that. This. And this is, uh, if there's powerful images in the scripture that reveal much, certainly the image of the cross, Jesus dying on the cross for you, no greater love has ever been shown and if you, we, that's why we keep coming back to the cross. There is no other way we could say it. But it's a picture, it's an image. And when you see that image and you see that it's for you, he died for me, you know what love is really about. And then when you think another one, we don't talk about it as much, but it's the empty tomb. The empty tomb. You look in there and there's nothing in there. It's because the power of God has raised Jesus from the dead. And so we have the love of God and the power of God in these two images that we celebrate at this table. As we celebrate, we remember that Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. So allow your mind to be taken, your imagination to be taken into that room, that upper room where Jesus sat with his 12 disciples. And Jesus, it was Thursday and the day of Passover. uh, He was the Passover lamb. John paints him as the Passover lamb, the one who, if you are in him, if you have his blood over you, death will pass over you. I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing um, that he would die so that we could live. And you get that imagery as he sits at that table and he tells them that this is his body. This is his body, which is broken for them. This is his blood, which is shed for them. And we get to take that in. We are there. It's as if we are there. When you allow your imagination to go on this we become part of that 12 sitting at that table. And when that happens, our minds are renewed and our hearts are renewed and our hearts are made soft. They're, they're not hard any longer. So um, can we pray? Let's pray for this, what we're going to do now. Father, thank you for the grace that we find at this table. I pray that in the spirit of our minds, we would be made new. Through the imagination, we would be captivated by your love and that it would inform our desires and our mind, and ultimately our hearts, Lord. We would be changed. Thank you for Jesus who died for us. And uh, Lord, we love you. And this is a way we can say that now. In Christ's name, amen.